0: It's uh, my pleasure to ask Alexandra to open the meeting with the first presentation. Um, um, She's been very successful in developing a a device evaluation program at Yale. and There's a real ambition to replicate that here um, at UCL. And she's going to talk about the Yale uh, UCL Research and Device Evaluation Program, a transatlantic academic initiative. Good. There's a reason, by the way, that this picture is up here. This is where I was exactly two days ago. <clears throat> and for those of you who haven't been to Angkor Wat, you absolutely awesome. should. It's it's stunning. All right, so um, we thought it would be a good idea to lay the stage, set the stage here, and talk a little bit about our initiative, uh, the Yale-UCL Interventional Research and Device Development Program. This is something that we've been working on for the past two years, and it truly is a transatlantic initiative. It comes with its... Um, obstacles, without a question, but I think it's got very lofty goals and I think at the end of the day will be extremely successful and has uh, been successful uh, in its early phase. So I've taken these first several slides from a good friend and colleague, Peter Fitzgerald, because I think they, they lay the foundation and I think this is important as we go into um, the next day and a half. So when we're thinking about medical device in terms of the history, when we look at what has been going on uh, in the early days, at least, this is first in human and redesign, uh, going back to the bench and, and redesigning the uh, devices to the regulatory process and commercialization. In the early days, it didn't really take that much time. It, was not very, uh, didn't, it wasn't very uh, costly to do this. Over time, what we have seen is an increase in the regulatory process, the regulatory burden, Uh, increase in time to commercialization, as well as a significant reduction in revenues. So what does this mean? This means that obviously it takes a lot more money, it takes a lot more time and risk, and this has direct implications, obviously, on the whole investment in biotech and innovation. This is just showing you over several decades, the 80s, 90s, 2000, up to 2010, and currently... Um, the impact in the field of interventional cardiology on cost, the cost burden, to get devices to market, The several reasons for this. Uh, clearly, devices have evolved from balloons. They're much more complex. We're looking at interaction between drug and device. Uh, but when we look at biodegradable scaffolds, and, and Krishna is here in the audience, can, can speak to this, but you can see that the price and the cost of actually getting this to market has been exponential. Um, on the other hand, um, the investment funds, these are private investments have dramatically re- uh, reduced uh, by up to 50%. So this has had a, a significant impact on uh, the process of innovation, at least in, in the United States. Uh, What are the consequences? Well, there's been a significant export of innovation, and we're seeing the exports to to countries that are much more uh, uh, friendly from an economic standpoint. Israel, Switzerland, Taiwan all have programs that really foster innovation uh, with tax credits, etc., the other thing that we have seen is that there's much less competition in the United States. It leads to, to higher costs, as well as less choices for patients. It takes longer to get approval for certain therapies that we know are effective. And this leads to, in some situations, export of healthcare. obviously not a good situation. Um, when we talk about the pillars of innovation, clearly there's many factors that go into medical innovation we're going to be hearing about government incentives i'm going to be talking here about academic networks and the one that we're talking about Uh, regulatory reform i think is very slow uh, in in the making certainly uh... in the global environment i think is very uh... very slow to to come forward and then our industry partners who really know how to do this best. But again, I think they're challenged by the increasing costs without a doubt. And I think there are many technologies that are probably available within companies that they are not able to develop simply because the funding is channeled to maybe a select number of um, devices. Okay, so why on earth would academia want to focus on innovation? And again, I'm going to focus on the Yale-UCL device development program. Why would we want to do this? Well, I think academia and clearly the, the, the folks in, in, on both the Yale and UCL side see this, see that academia has a unique role to play in innovation. If you think about Yale, it ranked top five. UCL ranked top 25 worldwide in universities. Clearly, there are some of the best minds uh, in science, basic science, engineering, clinical medicine, within these two academic institutions. Clearly, we have the expertise in uh, materials, biologics, coatings, nanotechnology, etc. And we also have the clinical excellence. We have the clinical volume. We have the research capabilities. And I can certainly say that we do have the expertise in clinical interventional research. We know how to do this. The other thing is that the motivations are very different in academia. We are not driven by profits. In fact, an academic institution such as Yale does not want to hear the word profit. Uh, we 're a non for profit organization, and that is simply not, not what is driving us. What drives us is the scientific breakthroughs, recognition, grants, publications, etc. Um, <clears throat> and currently, uh, at least Yale University is clearly encouraging innovation, and uh, there is a growing emphasis on spinning off startup companies um, through the tech transfer office. So, I think you're all familiar, everybody in the room here is very familiar with the whole life cycle of device development from concept to prototype with bioengineering to the preclinical assessment. Uh, this is with animal facilities and histopathology. The whole process of clinical evaluation from first in human phase one going to Europe with CE marking, U.S. IDE trials, approval trials in the United States, and then going into emerging markets. Well, if you think about this Venn diagram, our combined academic centers are able and have the expertise in every single one of these buckets. We know how to do this. What is missing is a coordinated mechanism to actually glue each one of these pieces together and actually bring it to life. So what is our initiative? This is exactly what we want to do. Essentially our mission is to effectively and efficiently innovate and evaluate endovascular devices for targeted therapeutics and biologics from concept to market. And the key point, again, I think the reason why academia has been so slow in being able to actually accomplish this in an effective way is because there has not been a coordinated infrastructure to, um, to, to actually accomplish this. And this is exactly what we are trying and planning to put in place. So the coordinated infrastructure is going to pull together our bioengineering groups our uh, collective academic know-how and preclinical, clinical clinical expertise, um, uh, leverage, our procedural volume. There are some strategic partnerships that are critical in order to be able to uh, be very effective. And in particular, there are three, and there are three that are currently in place. One being on the preclinical side uh, with the, the pathological uh, assessment, and we're very proud of a uh, strong relationship and partnership that we have with CVPATH. I don't know if Michael Jonah is already here, but this is with Renu Vimani and, and, and Michael. We have another strategic partnership with a clinical research organization, Genai, that is both European-based as well as U.S.-based, and again, takes care of issues that academics do not want to be involved with. Um, And then we have a third partnership that is very uh, important to us, and that is with the Center in Columbia for True First in Human uh, Work. And this really complements the full um, life cycle of device development. Uh, So if you think about it, um, our program really spans the whole spectrum, from design and engineering with our engineering uh, groups both at Yale and UCL, Pre-clinical assessment, we have uh, phenomenal animal facilities, and now Sinusis will be uh, uh, probably discussing that. Our partnership with Path, and the ability to translate that into clinical uh, research with True First in Humans, with, with uh, our Columbia partnership here in London, um, our European studies here, again, coordinated through our, our partners here at UCL through a, and, and with a network within Europe, as well as taking this into the U.S. market, so really being able to take this um, globally. I just show this to, to say that this is not a virtual um, setup. There are clearly three distinct footprints, one at Yale that is very well-developed, one at UCL that is uh, in the last phases of being developed, and one in Colombia, which we have been working uh, on for the, and with for the past year and is uh, actually quite mature in terms. And essentially what we're doing is really coordinating this and bringing these three partnerships um, together to be able to very effectively um, uh, have the full cycle there of device development. So what does this look like? This is essentially the Venn diagram. We have the Yale-UCL Coordinating Center. We have the partnerships with CBPath and our clinical research organization, our clinical translational research with our centers at UCL, Columbia, and uh, Yale. And of course, f- uh, from the academic standpoint, we're able to translate this into academic output with educational programs and a very, very productive publication group. So is this all sky in the pie, uh, pie in the sky? Absolutely not. This is, um, over the past couple of years, we've, we've really implemented this and shown that it has worked, it has worked very well. We are currently enrolling in over 120 clinical interventional trials between the, tr- the three institutions. The coordinating center that's primarily based at Yale currently is managing over 30 interventional programs. They span from CE Mark studies, 510-K IDE studies, approval studies, post-market studies here in Europe, very large scale, first in humans in, in Colombia, and investigator-initiated clinical trials trying to address very specific questions. We have a global reach, Europe, U.S., Colombia, we are working currently in very diverse therapeutic areas, including TAVA and drug looting stents, scaffolds, peripheral um, trials, mitral, etc. And we have very broad regulatory expertise and really have the ability to implement this. And then I'm not going to be talking about the novel devices that um, have been developed uh, on both campuses, and that will be presented actually in the course of today. So um, with that, um, I will pass it back to um, Brian and, um, and John. And I think that just kind of sets the foundation and the stage of what we have been working on and um, hopefully the, the rest of the session. Thank you.